Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week, four to six of us get together and discuss a movie. At the end of the episode, we announce the movie for the following week. All movies are available from streaming services, either as part of your subscription or to rent. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Alicia Walker. Hey there. Josh Dean. Hello. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And this full busload of podcasters, we're going to be talking about my suggestion for uh, this episode, which is the 1944 Ingrid Bergman movie, Gaslight. Not to be confused with the 1940 movie of the same name and the same plot. Um, we'll be getting into that a little bit later. And first, we're going to start with uh, things that we've seen recently. Uh, for us, that's been over the last couple of days. Uh, Josh, why don't you tell us what you've been up to lately? Uh, continuing the uh, trip through childhood on Disney Plus that my other friends and I have been doing. I we watched the Black Cauldron last night for the first time since I was a kid. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, man, I've forgotten how annoying ninety two percent of the characters in that movie are. Yep, um, yeah, and how the uh, the main character is completely ineffectual and does not actually achieve anything during the course <laughs> of the movie. Um, other than that, though. Uh, great performance by John Hurt as the uh, Horned King. Um, the animation was really spot on at times. Um, but I can't believe that was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's not, it doesn't pay to look back. And go home again. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, I've also been watching the... Um, Middle Ditch and Schwartz uh, improv. I watched the first episode of that. What'd you think? Um, so even though I met some of you through improv, um, I'm not the biggest fan of improv, particularly long form improv. Um, <laughs> I have I have a clip I need to send to Zach because oh, yeah. I think he'll appreciate it. Um, I found I found a, a really good long form uh, performance by uh zach woods and i forget the other guy's name but he works with zach woods a lot neil casey that's yeah i think that's right yeah because i know about this already oh have you <laughs> have you seen the one i'm talking about no i haven't seen it so please send it to me but uh yeah that they were actually doing this show before middle ditch and schwartz yeah. and then they had to drop out oh they were going to do the netflix show they, yeah, well, they had, I don't know about the Netflix special, but they had already been doing this this form, this show, this whole thing before Middle Ditch and Schwartz, um, like on a regular live basis, and yeah. then I think they were trying to tour it, uh, but then they had to go film Avenue 5, because they're both on that, yeah. so Middle Ditch and Schwartz uh, f subbed in, basically, and then uh, they uh, produced this Netflix special, so um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, but uh, who do you think's better? <laughs> uh, I like I like the woods and... And Casey, uh, K yeah, I, I like I, I like Zach Woods better in general. I just really yeah. enjoy him. I enjoy his performances. Um, I find him a lot more varied than Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Like Middle Ditch and Schwartz tend to have like two or three voices that they put on, and that's kind of it. Um, 
whereas I feel like uh, Zach Woods has like he has really funny women roles that he puts himself into that I think are really hilarious. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, I watched the first episode of it. Um, I thought it had its moments. There were some funny things in it. Um, it's, uh, I guess, the the concept of it for people that haven't seen it um, for this long-form set. They go to the audience and they sort of do what looks like stand-up crowd work for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then mm. they build an improv, uh, uh, basically like a... a 40 or so minute improv scene out of it or set of scenes. Um, the first one is, uh, about a wedding that they, they built out of it. Um, so I watched that and, uh, yeah, like there's stuff in there that like, uh, like I don't like it when they sort of drop character and make fun of the fact that they can't remember who they named people (laughs) earlier. Yeah. I'm not a yeah, big fan too. of that, so, and they they mean, did that quite a bit. Yeah, drives me crazy, man. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, and then like the audience was helping them at one point, like Marnie, her name's Marnie. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, what did you think of it, Josh? Did you watch more than just the first? Yeah, I actually I went to see them in Atlanta when they came through, um, and. That performance was not good. Um, mm. <laughs> it, uh, it it revolved a lot, a lot about Stone Mountain being calling it Racist Mountain, and that seemed to make everybody laugh. So they just stuck to that punchline over and over yeah. again. Um, That'll happen. So I was I went in with a real low bar. Uh, so the ones they recorded are way better than the one I well, saw live. <laughs> the, the three they released are probably way better than the ones you saw live. Exactly. I, yeah. I bet they recorded um, five or six of those before they felt I, like I, they heard, had I saw enough. an interview. They said they recorded four, so they okay. had one they could burn. But um yeah, the the second one starts really slowly and then gets funnier, but kinda like you, I think they they overcommit themselves to too many characters and then can't keep track of all the characters and that hurts the overall performance, I think. Um just for the sake of uh, anyway, I'm not sure what the sake is. But, well, when uh, it gets to the point where, like, like one of them, like, uh, like if Middleditch establishes a character, yeah, and then they move on to another singing, and then suddenly Ben Schwartz comes back in as Middleditch's character from the last scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like, for some of the audience, that's going to be confusing, but for me, it's like, well, I was enjoying how Middleditch did it. You're just doing Ben Schwartz's impression of Middleditch doing it. So and there's a real bad example of that in the second episode. Yeah. Where Middleditch does an accent that Schwartz can't do. Yeah. And yep. uh, yeah. Uh, but they try to do the same character and it's, yeah, it's rough. Okay. Aaron, what have you been watching? I just recently started the show prodigal son. Um, that's a pretty decent police procedural where is that uh, it is uh, it's on hulu is where i'm watching it i'm not sure what uh network does it i think it's uh, i think nbc prodigal son is, has um martin sheen okay um and he's a serial killer 
and he's arrested in the opening seconds of uh, the first episode and he goes to prison and his son becomes a profiler and it kind of goes from there Emilio or Charlie or <laughs> um different different Martin Sheen the one from Underworld Masters of Sex oh, it's Michael not Sheen Michael Sheen Michael yes, Sheen big difference <laughs> well, I was like wait a second that's not how I remember it <laughs> Michael Sheen I knew what I was talking about. But, um, Michael Sheen is the guy that single-handedly saved the last Twilight movie by being no. the most over-the-top <laughs> character of all time. I don't believe anything the can save that saved. garbage. But his, <laughs> his reaction to like their baby, he's like the king of the evil vampires in the fourth Twilight movie, and he sees the baby that they had like the human and vampire hybrid baby and he's just like <laughs> it's amazing you people at home dale just made an amazing face yeah. <laughs> it, it really did <laughs> yeah when the, when this gets posted that should be the thumbnail for a second <laughs> i thought you were i thought you were Watch michael the show. <laughs> <laughs> um outside of that i'm I'm trying to watch uh, Chernobyl. I've started the second episode like 14 times, but it's not grabbing because you? of well, other things in my life are distracting me, so I can't give it the proper uh, attention. Pandemics are rough, man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, they are. Well, he also has a newborn at home, so I know uh, that. I'm just uh, messing with you him. Know. <laughs> I'm going to be in a playful mood today, guys, so let's get this over with. <laughs> so uh, I'll start the episode. I'm getting really excited, and then I have to go do something. When I come back, I, I just I forgot what was happening, and I have to restart the episode. So Yeah. I'll, I'll get to it eventually. Benadryl and chill. That's how I do it. <laughs> uh, Alicia, uh, what have you been watching? Yeah, well, uh, probably a couple things this week. Not a whole lot of new stuff, but um, we recently uh, got CBS All Access, so we've been kind of exploring that app a little bit, and uh, I have a guilty pleasure of being a longtime watcher of Survivor. Mm -hmm. So I was catching up on uh, some of the latest season stuff because I haven't really been watching television as it airs really anymore that often, so... Uh, I was watching a little bit of the, the latest season of the All-Stars, all the winners playing against each other. But I also was watching on Hulu, uh, Mrs. America. And that I've seen a couple episodes of that. I don't know if you guys have checked Is that, that the out. the Kate Blanchett show? Yeah, Kate Blanchett. She plays um, um, Shafley, Schlafly, excuse me, um, who's kind of uh, a leader of more of the women's conservative movement that was kind of opposed to ERA and a lot of the later feminist movement happening in the especially the early 70s and so they show kind of her side of things and they're also looking at uh you know Fredan and uh gloria steinem and a lot of these other leaders of the women's movement and it, lots of stars uh lined up in it uh steinem is played by tracy ullman which is kind of oh, interesting cool. uh-huh and uh just you know I think uh, Margot uh, Martindale, Martindale. Is that, yeah, she's in it. There's a lot of um, just great actresses, uh, a lot of good actors in it as well. And 
and I'm not very far in it, but it's got a great soundtrack of the time, so I'm always kind of uh, enjoying that as the episodes are airing, too. And they're just really well done, lots of good acting. Yeah, it looked good. I hadn't had a chance to dive into that. Um, I'd just been hearing a lot about it, so I thought I'd check it out, and I think uh, all the praise is probably well-deserved from what I've seen so far. Is it, uh, is it like, a drama focus, or is there some comedy in there, or... What's the There's sort of some feel comedy. of the show? Um, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like a dramedy or something, but it's pretty fast-paced, and it kind of uh, switches between the scenes pretty quickly um, with sometimes just some, you know, small crossover scenes and things like that kind of... Uh, uh, it it, it kind of jumps around, not, not a huge amount in time, but it jumps from character to character pretty quickly. So mm. you kind of have a menagerie of different things happening all at once. And so that in some ways kind of makes it lighter with the with the soundtrack of the early 70s kind of happening at the same time. So yeah. it's not, you know, it, it's not super... Here we were talking about Chernobyl, which I loved. It's not Chernobyl. You know, it's a yeah. lot more up and fast-paced and stuff like that for a, for kind of a, you know dramatization of history i think yeah we've got a lot of Margot martindale fans on this show oh i love her she's great she was uh completely wasted in dexter um <laughs> so when we, <laughs> right. when we did the dexter podcast and we were aware of things like justified wasted? and all of that stuff it was like <laughs> what did you do she's just a fat yeah. lady that likes to eat as soon as, as soon as she said Margot Martindale, first thing popped in my head was key lime pie. It's like it's it's all ruined. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing at about anything she's in. Absolutely. Cool. Anything else? I think that's probably the main two things I've looked at this week. I have a lot of good friends who are enjoying Afterlife, so I'm going to probably try to check that out. I season watched the two first season. Of that. Did yeah, I did too, and so I, I just saw that it dropped this week. So I want that, those of you who don't know that's the Ricky Gervais one of his many shows that he's had, um, uh, kind of since the op- British Office, and uh, and it, you know it was kind of unexpected that first season. I thought it was really well done, and uh, um, I think kind of showed us a side of his talent that we don't often see. And so I'm kind of anxious to see the second season. Supposedly it's great, so we'll see. Yeah, that sounds good. I've I've enjoyed all of his shows. Um, mm-hmm. Me too. So yeah, this is the the one after Derek. Uh, yes, is afterlife. So cool, right? Uh, Nathan, how about you? Uh, well, honestly, we've been watching a lot of the same things. So I've been—I wouldn't say I'm sucked into Survivor, but I have watched it a couple of times now, which is more than I could say like two months ago. I've never really watched it. Um, Alicia and Nathan but, are together for people listening to the podcast. Yeah, we're, we're sitting right <laughs> next to each other. So we are Corona buddies at this point, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Getting uh, closer all the time. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we, I kind of started up, she was watching it as well. We started watching uh, High Fidelity. Um, the series. Which is the series, yeah, which I'm a big fan of the movie. Um, it's one of those that grows on me every a little bit more every time I see it. Um, I think we watched one episode so far. It wasn't very, we're not very far into it, but I liked it. I like Zoe Kravitz anyways. I think my biggest challenge with it, and I mentioned this to Alicia, is I don't think there's anyone that's thinking, even in her grungiest of grungy days, that she is an unattractive person. Oh. I don't care what they're trying to pull off. <laughs> yeah. <but. laughs> 
Um, the other thing I think that we probably have been watching, uh, we just started up, and I, I think we're going to kind of try to pace it a little bit, but uh, we started up on season two of What We Do in the Shadows, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is just picking up where it left off. It's If anybody has not heard of that show or hasn't tried the movie at least, yeah, uh, they, they've got a big surprise coming for them. It's it's so good. Yeah, the the show is surprisingly good, um, considering like, it, you know, uh, the the movie that came from it's a very high bar set, and uh, the series I think does a really great job of of you know expanding all of that stuff. Um, I love the just like random dude who's like an energy vampire. Oh my yeah, god! He's kind of our favorite. That's, I, in fact, I was just referring to someone today to a friend and called them an energy vampire because mm-hmm. they are very much that kind of a person. So I love that. Yeah, and they're um, uh, Jemaine Clement and Taika Waititi uh, have said that they're making a sequel to What We Do in the Shadows, but they said that it took them like nine years to make What We Do in the Shadows. So who knows how long until we'll see it. But it's it's tentatively titled "We're Wolves." <laughs> yeah. Well, I, when they first talked about doing a series, that was what they were originally talked about, right? It wasn't going to be. A, oh, it was going to focus on the werewolves. Yeah, that's what I originally heard. So when they when they actually posted that they were doing the what we do in the shadows with the vampires. I, actually, it kind of scared me a little bit because I was excited to see the, them explore the werewolf side of the universe because I felt like they really did a pretty good job exploring the vampire side in the movie. I think they've picked a really great cast, though, and especially especially like with the energy vampire and some of the other things that are going on. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy that's playing the familiar through the series, but... Guillermo is Guillermo, his name on he, the show. He yeah. is perfectly cast for what he's doing. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of good things going on in that show. Yeah, I like that they didn't so. just, you know, have, uh, they didn't just replace the characters with the exact same archetypes. Right. Like, it's not just a knockoff of what we do in the shadows. It's a different, different mm-hmm. version which, of it. Which paid off in season one when they, they got to visit the original vampires from the movie along with the rest of the quote unquote vampire council, which was. A lot of absentee members. If you don't watch any other episode, just watch that one because it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Maybe this is a good time to do my Matt Berry impression because I love that (laughs) bloke. (laughs) Star of the show, if you ask me. He's got another show I noticed that I hadn't heard of. It's not the IT crowd. It must have been one he did in the middle. Do you know anything about that one? it's called... Toast. Toast of London. Toast of London. That's it. That's it. Is it any good? It's beautiful, beautiful. If you like him, you like that show. <laughs> All right. Well, we're we're it, it's on our list then. Yeah, mine anyway. Definitely. He he did this other one a long time ago where it's like Darth Merengue or da- Darth Merengue's a dark place. A dark place. Oh, and it's super ridiculous and awful, but it's so fun and good. Yeah. <laughs> my my I. It took me a little while to warm to him on IT Crowd just because I loved Denim Renum so much. That yeah. when Denim Renum had to go, I was like sad and wasn't like accepting this new character so much. But I got over it. Yeah, he he wins you over the first time you see him in that uh, um, doing the aerobics class. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Jen, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Zach, what have you been watching? I've just been going down a rabbit hole of movies and television. Uh, so I've got, uh, I had to make a list because it's just out of control. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, let's see, we'll start with the movies. Train to Busan. Just got okay. on that one because, uh, yeah, I just love zombie movies and I saw it and they're coming out with a sequel and I was like, let's do this. Um, it's on Netflix. Uh, if you like zombie movies, I think it's right up there with some of the best. Uh, and yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, people know who listen to this show. I am not the biggest fan of international films because I don't like reading subtitles and like trying to watch the action. But it like it was still it didn't bother me. This was really good. I think it was just well done in all the aspects of making the film so um yeah it was really really fun i can't wait for the sequel uh watch the current war about um uh, edison and westinghouse pretty interesting very fast paced uh i wish they would have slowed it down a little bit i think it went a little too quickly which is probably a metaphor for electricity or the race to get electricity um but i think there was more they could have helped to explain uh, and I thought Tesla was a bigger part of it and he really wasn't, I mean, in the grand scheme of things he was, but, um, I guess I thought he would be a bigger part of the film. Um, but still I thought it was enjoyable. It kept my attention. Um, I happened to, uh, catch, I still see you, which I did not like. <laughs> I still see you. <laughs> yeah. I know it's guys. It's fucking what is that? terrible. It's a <laughs> it's a Bella Thorne movie oh, oh. from like 2017. It was filmed in Canada. It's about a girl who's in like high school or college, and she like sees ghosts, but she's like in a ghost class and follows the like trail of ghostness, and then ends up. I don't. I don't. It's. Stupid. I haven't liked don't any part waste, of that. It's a don't Bella waste your time. Movie where she sees ghosts. Oh my gosh! I mean, Bella Thorne in general is just garbage. Um, Are you just playing like but, Netflix roulette? Huh? Are you just playing like Netflix roulette? <laughs> uh, sort of. <laughs> I actually watch these on various platforms. The Current War and Harriet, I actually watched while uh, I had to take a flight, so I watched those on the flight. Um, and then I still see you. I watched at my family's house. They were watching it, and I was like, "Why are you watching this garbage?" Okay. Um, so that was something, but I did convince them to watch onward, which was my second time watching it. Um, yeah. and I was the only person that cried and I don't know what's wrong with my family. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Disney plus onward, love it. Check it out. Uh, TV, middle edition Schwartz, we already talked about. Um, also, you know, like I do long form improv, uh, and I also coach it. Um, so did you watch you all know, of I'd it? Say, I haven't watched the third episode yet. Um, I'm going to save and watch that with my wife because we've both watched the first two uh, separately. So um, I think the first one was okay. The second one, not so great. Um, you know, what they're doing is definitely a crowd-pleasing form. It's also very narrative-based and it's plot-driven, which is not necessarily what most of long-form improv is. So they're giving the audience a very palpable version of long-form improv, in my opinion. Um, and being the improv expert on the podcast, it's a very good one. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, they're funny guys. Um, I'm a Schwartz fan. I've met him before. I've talked to him. He's a real nice guy. I think he's doing a lot of justice with the scene work and, and bringing the funny. And I think Middleditch is sort of Middleditch. People really are into him. And, um, you know, he's popular and um i can't say that i like him that much but other people do so good for them <laughs> i mean i liked him on silicon valley and i liked some of the stuff he was doing 
um, on that first episode that I watched. And mm-hmm. that's a lot for me because I'm not, like I said, I'm not a long form fan. Um, yeah. But, you know, seeing it was them doing it, I was kind of interested to see how it would work out and all of that. I just, it's it's good to hear that my uh, my complaints about that episode are kind of your complaints. <laughs> um, Definitely. That, I, you know, I was seeing things where I'd be like, you know, if I was coaching this, I would <laughs> I would tell them to stop breaking character to laugh at each other and <laughs> move oh, yeah. it along. Yeah. So lots of, lots of little technical things, but you know, like I said, very palpable for the, the audience and people who aren't familiar with long form improv. So I guess kudos to them for doing that. Um, binge watched Waco on Netflix. Loved it. Okay. Very good. So I watched that recently too. And I'm curious about this. That series came out in 2018, right? Well, that's funny because my parents had actually mentioned something too where they were like, oh, we've watched it. And then I was like, it just came out on Netflix. And then they were like, oh, well, I don't know. So I'm not sure. Well, I think there's I watched two. it and then I looked it up and like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's from 2018. And then it somehow got, it, it, it somehow like popped into the top 10 again. Interesting. So yeah. a ton of people watched it. Like <laughs> that, that top ten is crushing Netflix. Well, everybody's <laughs> confined to their own compound right now, so maybe that's why everybody's thinking <laughs> about Waco. Yeah, David Crush is a much more, uh, much more sympathetic character now <laughs> that we're all, we're all just trying to work it out at our own place, man. <laughs> Don't tear gas me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, Michael Shannon, uh, I'm a big fan of him, so I like a lot of stuff that he's in, and um, yeah, I thought that was good. But Have you seen The Iceman? I haven't seen that one. I'll check oh, it out. Oh, dude, you got to see The Iceman if you like Michael Shannon. Um, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's on Netflix. It's He plays uh, uh, Kuklinski, the serial killer, or hitman, basically, the mafia hitman. Um, so it's kind of like... The Godfather meets a hitman meets Michael Shannon, um, and he's excellent in it. Like that's awesome. He's just like this cold, dead inside man who's living this double <laughs> life as a family man and the best killer for the mafia because he does not care about killing people. He has no no sympathy or remorse for anything. Um, and he's great. based on a real guy. Like you can, there's there's documentaries on Netflix as well. With uh, I think it's called the Iceman Tapes. Um, where it's they, on HBO. Is it only on HBO? I thought I watched it on Netflix, but uh, I'm fairly certain it's. It might be on Amazon Prime, but I I know it was made by HBO. Okay. But yeah, they all feel the same now. All of the platforms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, um, I always get sad when I'm not watching something on Amazon because I love the x-ray feature. I love like knowing exactly who's on screen at all times. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so you can, it, you know, that movie's really good, The Iceman, and then The Iceman yeah. Tapes is basically just an interview uh, with him in prison um, and him talking about like how he grew up and how he's always just kind of been fine with killing things and 
it doesn't make him sick to dismember bodies and it's like yep this guy is stone cold wow fuck yeah i'll check it out um and then um the outsider started that it's really good i don't know if i'd mentioned that before but i'm like seven episodes through and just really enjoying that isn't it um, just seven episodes um i think I there's I think it's 10. 10 yeah 10? i finished oh, okay. that a few a couple weeks ago yeah. it's really good yeah it's fun i mean fun in a like not fun way obviously but like i don't know <laughs> yeah burke and i talked about it um because we both watched it a couple weeks ago and um my review of it was that i thought the first two episodes were the best um but that was because i wasn't paying attention to the fact that it was a stephen king story and so once supernatural elements started entering the picture like in episode three, I was like, it kind of lost me a little bit, but I, I stuck it out and enjoyed it. I liked Ben Mendelsohn in it a lot. Um, yeah. He was kind of playing me in the movie. He's <laughs> like, I don't believe in any of this shit. That's great. So, well, I was, uh, I was planning to watch a couple of movies uh, to compare and contrast with Gaslight. Um, I was going to watch The Invisible Man, uh, with Elizabeth Moss, which I did not end up getting a chance to do. But I did watch the 1940 version of Gaslight, which I hadn't previously seen. Um, so that gave me some insight into sort of the differences between the two film versions. And um, the 1940 version is supposed to be more like the original stage play. So that was kind of interesting to see. And then I've been watching on my just my my avalanche of trash um i've been watching the tragic life choices channel tlc um (laughs) doing the uh i finished all of the 90 day fiance before the 90 days and now i'm uh i'm trucking my way through i got through the first three seasons of uh the regular 90 day fiance so that i can watch the other spinoff series uh, happily ever after the 90 days. Uh, How do you live with yourself? Yeah, you, you've become <laughs> the problem. What I just heard is you chose to watch all of that instead of the new Invisible Man movie. I, I did, um, because it was really easy. That That's the thing about it. It's like um, there was a time where you just watched what was on, Like, and I haven't been like that forever. Like I got rid of cable regular tv all of that stuff um in like 2005 so it's been like forever it's been like 15 years since i had something like that and so once i get stuck on some stupid show like that (laughs) i can't let it go and it just like it just like calms me to a place where i'm just like i'm just in my happy place i went through a whole thing with pawn stars at one point Oh my god! Where I watched like all of that shit. It's just like it's the same episode over and over again, and it's like I bet I know what Rick's gonna say now. <laughs> I get that uh, to a what's degree. Chun-Li it's almost to? yeah. It's almost like uh, a calming background noise, just the comfort of knowing what comes next. And one episode rolls so easily into the next one. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just. You know, that continuous play, it's like the marathons when you used to watch TV where the entire Saturday is, 
you know, what, whatever it is, Pawn Stars or whatever, you know, Hoarders or whatever. You just let it roll and just compare how much worse is this one going to get to the last one. Yeah. Well, and you think about it like kids today, they won't understand what it's like. I'm going to say this, those kids today aren't going to understand what it's like to never have seen the beginning of a specific movie because you always caught it on cable somewhere in the middle and you watched it to the end. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I went years. I had never seen the first 15 minutes of Temple of Doom. Yeah. (laughs) Never. Because I only ever caught it like on HBO and I only caught it like 15, 20 minutes in at least or like, you know, at some point in the middle. And so that was where I started, and so I'd never actually seen him go off the waterfall, never saw the crazy dance number at the beginning. Club uh, Obi-Wan was a whole new thing for you. Club Obi-Wan. Yes. Yeah. You poor unfortunate soul. Oh, now, I'm, yeah. now I'm whole again. <laughs> I, I turned it on after, uh, after my wife goes to bed mostly, and uh, I have a set of Bluetooth headphones that connects to my TV, and so I can wander the house, go make a snack, you know, uh, set something up for the kids and just listen to all of these people making terrible choices with their lives, and <laughs> trying to game the, the government immigration process, and it's wonderful. Well, we know they didn't get that stimulus check. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's plenty of money going around at, uh, at Traumatic Life Choices, or TLC, as other people call it. It's either tragic, terrible, or traumatic. Um, one of those three. All the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. TLC. Mm-hmm. There's no learning here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my suggestion for the movie uh, to discuss was Gaslight. Um, have any of you seen it before watching it for this? I have. Alicia has. Okay. I, I actually found out I had watched it. <laughs> okay. So you just forgot about it, Aaron? Well... I didn't recognize the title, and once I started watching it, I was like, man, I've, I've seen this movie. <laughs> Did your wife convince you you had never seen it? <laughs> well, I, I didn't recognize the title because when I watched it, it, it was a different title. It was called The Murder in Thornton Square, which is what huh. it was released as initially. So you huh. watched it back in the 40s? Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> no. I, so I went through an old movie kick where I was just downloading movies and uh, older movies and watching them. And, and that was one of them. And uh, when it was first released, it was over in the UK where they made the 1940s version. They released it as Murder in Thornton Square. Um uh, so as not to confuse, confuse everybody. People. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I downloaded it, I downloaded it as that title. So hmm. you got like the UK version of it. Yeah. I see. Were there bonus scenes, uncut footage? <laughs> no, but it actually, it actually made me uh, do a little bit of research into it. When MGM uh, bought the rights to do Gaslight, they put a clause in the contract that all existing copies of the 1940 version had to be destroyed. Ah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, huh. yeah and, we'll, and <laughs> it was we'll, get, insane. we'll get into that. But I want to hear from people that haven't seen the movie first on what they thought. So, uh, Zach, let's start with you. What did you think of Gaslight? Um, I thought it was 
fine. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, there were moments where it didn't really catch me up top, um, but I uh, did it I think catch later you on, outside? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, they uh, the I think the thing about it the most that um, sort of got me was when they picked up steam a little bit more in terms of what was happening. Uh, I was going to say, was this the original slow burn movie? Because I felt like it just took a while to get there. Um, so I figured Aaron would really enjoy it because he's a slow burn guy. Um, but uh, no, I mean, there were moments where I got the whole idea, I guess, of gaslighting and then seeing it sort of play out from this standpoint. But like, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to make fun of it the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I just kept I just kept going Paula, uh, Paula, excuse me, Paula, and then like she would never answer, and I was like, well, then, you know, um, my cats thought I was crazy, um, yeah, but uh, you know, I got through it. I I don't know if I would watch it again. The, I, there's a lot of other films that I like from that era that um, I guess it didn't really get me in the same way, um, but um, you know, it was there. Okay, that's fine. Josh, how about you? Well, uh, I liked it. Um, I when the title card came up and I saw George Cukor, uh, Cooker, Cooker—I yeah. don't know how to say his name—I um, looked. I was like, "Wait, I know that name." And Philadelphia Story is like one of my favorite movies. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, this guy, yeah, yeah." He did My Fair Lady as well, which is like which I've never seen that. Actually, oh, but, he he won an Oscar for that one. Um, that was like that makes sense. That won like all the Oscars that year. Okay, um, and it was the second movie he did with Judy Garland, and sort of the third because he's one of the uncredited directors on The Wizard of Oz. Um, he's oh. also one of the uncredited directors on Gone with the Wind. So, Whoa. yeah, he's been around. Wow. Okay, he's got some cred. He's got some street cred built up. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the first time in my life, I had a reason for being sexually attracted to Angela Lansbury, so that was a good excuse. Um, it, it was the accent, yeah, wasn't man, it? It was that accent. Good grief, right? Um, Manchurian Candidate, she already looked like she was 80 years old, and so uh, I I did never seen young Angela Lansbury before. So, uh, Oh, man. I gotta, yeah. I gotta recommend some more movies to you. Uh, yeah, to, uh, uh, private message me, please. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Let's see, you know, but I really, uh, Joseph Cotton, I'm in the bag for him. Like, uh, just, he's amazing. I like him in anything he does. So, uh, I was on board with this one. Ingrid Bergman, of course, um, amazing. So, um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I got into it. I didn't, like, I tried my best to not get into it. Like, I was checking my phone, but I kept getting dragged, you know, sucked right back in. Um, so, uh, I, when people saw this, you guys that have done research, did were was it supposed to be a surprise that he was screwing with her? Was that a twist, or was that do you go in knowing that he's screwing with her? Uh, it is something of a twist. Okay, uh, in I mean, in the 1944 version, it is okay. Because I didn't know how I was supposed to be seeing this. Because I mean, obviously, from the name and the, you know, the reputation, I knew what was going on. Right. But I didn't know if I was supposed to know what was going on. Yeah, but. you wouldn't have known in 1944, um, and you you wouldn't have known, say, you know, 30 years ago or so when I first saw the mm. movie, when gaslighting wasn't quite such a popular term. Okay. Um, 
but that's like that's a you know regular term we hear in culture all the time now right. um when you're manipulating someone into thinking that they're wrong and you're right even though mm-hmm. there's <laughs> even though you're not so uh i was just wondering like some of his violent outbursts and stuff i was like surely surely that tipped the hand right there that's the first like 15 minutes but um yeah i didn't so i wasn't sure how to see it like that but just knowing what was going on i could see zach's point of like get to the firework factory a little bit faster in terms of like let's let's get to the meat and potatoes of what's going on but um uh, once joseph cotton got more involved in the story that's when i my interest really picked up and it snowballed from there um and i i liked it a lot i thought it was a great great movie okay nathan how about you uh, I enjoyed it. I I think I enjoyed watching it more as almost irony of watching an old movie that felt like an old movie as opposed to something that felt like a true classic where it was something you could really truly enjoy it for what it was today. Yeah. Uh, the the melodrama was just on a scale of like 11 on a dial of 10 and <laughs> oh. I mean, the lines, I mean, what passes for humor in this movie is, well, you know, so I mean, <laughs> the, last, I mean, the last line is that, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, to translate, yeah, to translate <laughs> that <laughs> to today, like, so that's like, that's like a, an, uh, that would have been like a well-known actress at the time, so it would sort of be sure. like if Maggie Smith did that in a modern movie. <laughs> and that was how they ended it. Oh, I don't it. doubt it. I don't doubt it. That, but that's what I, they were yeah, doing. For, for, for my viewing's sake, it was still... It, it, all the lines were corny. I mean, it was <laughs> it, there was a, a lot of corn going on through the whole movie. Yeah. Um, but I did find it pleasurable. I, I think if I had... If I was to go back in time and tell them to do one thing a little bit different, like I... So at the very tail end, when she kind of switches gears on him and he's tied in the chair... I really wanted to let him have it. And she just kind of like teases him a little bit, but it was like, especially after sitting through that first, that first middle 30 minutes or so where he's just really fucking with her. Mm -hmm. And it's frankly, he's fucking with me because I'm really tired of watching him fuck with her. (laughs) Um, I really wanted to see her give it to him, not necessarily stab him or anything, but boy, I wanted to hear him really chew his ass out. Yeah. Didn't quite do it for me. I was like, oh, this bitch going to stab him. <laughs> <laughs> and then she didn't. And I was like, oh, well, this is definitely not my kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, she's Because I feel like she's not the bride. we've watched so many movies. Yeah, we've watched so many movies where somebody gets stabbed. Like, seriously, if you go back in all the episodes we've recorded, almost like 85% of them, somebody got stabbed. And I was like, we have a thing going on here. Um, but not this one. <laughs> So, Aaron, you realized that you had seen this before at some point? Yes. Yeah. I, I went through a kick of, of older movies, and, and this was this was one I, I really enjoyed. Um, it, didn't, it didn't click with me because the... Uh, I wouldn't think that they would make, name the movie after, like, the gaslights flickering. Um, so I, it didn't it didn't immediately pop into my head, but I, I really enjoyed this. I love Ingrid Berman. Um, she's she's really good. Um, hot Angela Lansbury. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the guy that played the husband annoyed me. Like the entire time he's on screen, the way he talks, I'm just like, 
hate this that's guy. the role I hate everything i hate everything <laughs> about him and um even even knowing what he was doing it was just his 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 voice that i was like i i hope this guy dies <laughs> um, but I, I was I felt very different. I loved the end. Her her speech about whether the knife was real or not. Oh man, I I love it. And then when she gets up into his face and and just just in in that day and age lets him have it. It's perfect. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so back to Alicia. What do you think of yes. Gaslight? Because you have seen this before and you agreed to I see have, it again. Yeah, it had been a long time though. So even though I knew the main plot, you know, a lot of the small stuff I'd kind of forgotten. And um, I, I, the word that was kind of going through my head a lot as well, which Nathan already mentioned, was uh, melodrama, melodramatic quite a bit. I mean, I feel like sometimes, especially uh, in older films, which I love, especially when they're doing something from the stage to the screen, they've just got that still that high level of uh, emotion and over over dramatic stuff I think that oftentimes you see on stage and there it doesn't translate a lot of times as well I think sometimes on the screen but um, so I felt like it was a little much there's there's highlights but I felt like for me a lot of the highlights were, looking at the scenery of the house mm-hmm. Ooh, what else is in that curio cabinet from the years of the opera singer you know and and the painting with her in the dress like ooh, i like the jewels were in the dress the whole time i hope i'm not spoiling it for people but hey no that's the uh, point of the show okay good this is for well, people then, that like we told them last episode to watch the movie and then listen okay to this, well so. then we're all set hey guys the jewels are in the dress but anyway um i you know, I feel like a lot of these... I love Ingrid Bergman. Sometimes I feel like you watch an Ingrid Bergman movie just to watch how they light up her face and give her that dewy look, and she runs the gamut of all emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just overly excited to, you know, traumatized. She's singing. She's dancing. She's she's uh, weeping on the bed. I mean, you get... It's the Oscar run for sure. I mean, they're, they've got she, all these great parts for her to do. Yeah, she did win Best best actress for this role absolutely yeah so i mean there there's several movies like that for some reason there are several parts when she's singing that i just kept thinking bells of saint mary and she was going to show up in her habit in a second uh after leaving italy or something but but uh because i always think of her singing in that but yeah i mean there's there's things i like about it but it's it's definitely not you know a top movie for me for ingrid bergman and and i think the predictability is tough for me because i mean you see all that coming a mile away really early so um so it's not you know i love a lot of old movies it's not one of my favorites but there's there's some high points in it yeah i when i watched it the first time i thought all the twists landed really well um you know it is a very dramatic movie but it's also um you know set in 1865 um women obviously have a lot less power and and say over their lives back then um husbands can just commit their wives to mental asylums for no reason and that's just how things worked um that kind of stuff um and another thing that was kind of interesting as far as um contextualizing it for 1944 was that 
Ingrid Bergman was this iconic, strong woman um, for people that went and saw her in movies and things like that. And so for her to be the one in this role that's being broken down by this guy, it's like you want to reach through the screen and save her. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has that sort of feeling like, you know, snap out of it. You're going to, you know, you got to figure this out. You're, you're stronger than this. Um, But because of the times of what they're portraying, it's not quite as uh, simple as that. Um, You mentioned something about like how they were lighting her and stuff like that. Did you notice that like probably the last half, at least of the movie they tended to light just one side of her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they really played with shadow, I think, a lot in that movie. Um, I mean, rightly so, as you should with a plot like that, uh, and with the whole point being gas lights and the lights going up and down and things like that, and the shadow probably having a lot to do with her own you know, emotional temperament at the time and kind of a shadow over her own you know, well-being and, and what she feels like is her mentally stable you know um persona i guess yeah i felt like they were they were visualizing her own self-doubt mm-hmm. that the darkness was the what she didn't understand and the light was her her understanding side um but most of the time they would they would light just the uh just like the left side of her face and then leave the rest in shadow it was never like a front lit thing or anything like that um and yeah, the gaslights do come into play with that. It's interesting. Um, the movie started out life as a play called Gas Space Light in 1939. A UK theater put it on. And then there was the British version of it that was made in 1940. And then Broadway staged a version of it, which was uh, it was the first time that Vincent Price played a villain was in that stage version and the name of the of the play was changed to Angel Street and I guess the original the 1940 movie was also called Angel Street originally and then they changed it to Gaslight to just to make everything more confusing cuz Aaron was saying it had a different name when he watched it as well the murder in Thornton Square or whatever um but one of the reasons why we still have the 1940 version is because early prints of that were printed with the name Angel Street. And so they weren't destroyed when the order to destroy all copies of 1940 Gaslight went out. So Angel Street survived, and so we still have the 1940 version of it. So why did they have to destroy them? Was it a copyright thing or something? MGM didn't want... Uh, they basically didn't want anyone playing the wrong version in the theaters and they had acquired the rights to the work, to the adaptation. So the old version wasn't basically wasn't legal anymore. And so, I mean, MGM was just kind of ruthless like that. They put a lot of money into making this movie. Say just like uh, universal. Those jerks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well was i mean Topical, was the yeah. was the play so popular when it came to the united states that that's why they wanted to make an american version of this film i mean not that necessarily the cast is all american but another version of this film so soon after the first one had come out or is there another issue with the that? 1940 uh well i mean i think 
I think the impetus behind the 1944 one is we're going to make it again with Ingrid Bergman. I think that's how it... It's going to be bigger and better. And bigger and better, more, I mean, more uh-huh. production value. The 1940 version is a 1940 British movie, and it looks like a 1940 British movie. Um, so the 44 version is a much slicker, more polished... Uh, the, the script is much tighter and better. There's more surprises. There's more suspense and more kind of twists and turns to it. Um, like, I, I forget now who asked if you were if it was supposed to be a surprise that he was the you know puppet master behind everything. In the 1940 version of the movie, um, the plot is, is or the, the the characters are so different as to tell it like it tells you basically immediately that he's not who he says he is and he's looking for the jewels and he's trying to drive her crazy like it just that's all just out in the open right at the beginning of the movie so the 40 version is very much a drama and it's about like can she survive him can she can she survive and not be put into the mental institution rather than the 44 version being more of like the mystery of what the hell's going on. Is she going crazy? Is she not? Why is he doing this to her? You know, and then you find out he's got another wife and he's, uh, he's actually responsible for the murder of her aunt, all that sort of stuff in the original one. He's, he owns the property it's not it's not like handed down to her or anything. He owns the property, but he needs to marry her to have the money to reopen the property and be able to live there and have servants and be able to go through and look for all of this stuff. Um, and the whole like, you know, the painting of the dress and the and the jewels and all of that kind of stuff, none of that's in the original version. It's the brooch that she like loses but doesn't lose that he like pretends Mm -hmm. to make disappear the brooch actually has a secret compartment in the original version and that's where all the rubies were and when she found them she didn't know what they were and took them out and put them in a vase so even if he had figured out how to open the brooch (laughs) he wouldn't have found them so it's it's really interesting uh my 10 year old son actually sat down and watched the original version of it with me and like he followed it the whole way through like you know because there's no there's no real surprises or tension it was kind of like you know i'd say to him stuff like you know i think i think he's trying to confuse her and he's like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i will i will say that i did appreciate the editing i thought for the time period the editing was pretty good the score was good um definitely helped to build the tension um their technical Cality or the technical side of sorry technical side of things was I thought really well done um, for that era. Uh, definitely like the cinematography. You know, from time to time they had to do voiceover stuff um, just because obviously sound equipment wasn't nearly as well as good as it is now. But um, I, I did appreciate a lot of that stuff. So from like that side of things, I thought that was really unique and interesting. And uh, I think that's what helped keep me more invested early on was just like me paying attention to technical stuff. And then finally the story caught up with me and I was like, oh, okay, I get I get it now. I think it was like the jewels and then 
Yeah. Yeah, watching it again, like the first half hour is kind of rough. Um, they keep changing scenes. They give you a little bit of exposition, and then they're off to another scene, and there's a little bit more exposition. And it really doesn't start proper until she gets on the train and starts talking to the old woman. And the old woman is just spouting exposition at her. So, like, that's really when it, like, kicks in, and then they get to the house, and then from there it's game on. It's, you know, the action of the movie's happening. Wasn't the old woman called, like, Bloodthirsty Bessie or something like that? Mm -hmm. That, That's what her friends (laughs) called her. I think he almost killed Zach. Because she loves, yeah, she loves a good murder mystery. (laughs) Yeah, no, like... Sorry. I, I, I rewatched that scene on the train like four times. It was hilarious to me how just just how giddy she was about like murder and yeah. just like randomly starts talking to this lady next to her about murder. I love a good murder. And offers her a biscuit. I That's mean. murder she wrote. Yeah. yeah. So did anybody else feel like it was truly not necessarily to have two maids? Because it, it, it honestly kind of made the whole thing... I didn't really know where their loyalties lay in the first place, but it was yeah. even more confusing because there were two of them. And well, I, I don't think know if that they, was adding the confusion on purpose, but I feel like they needed them for two different purposes, and maybe they couldn't have that in one character. You have to have the maid who's kind of deaf because she doesn't hear what's happening in the attic, and then you got to have the other one that's you know too busy with her social life and maybe is okay with that shade of gray of. You know, not everything's on the up and up, and I'm going to go along with things because I might make it with the master of the house or whatever. So I guess they figured you couldn't have, you know, somebody going out with the cops and everything at night and having fun on her, you know, days off, and she's also deaf. I don't, maybe that, you couldn't do that. Yeah, I, same package, I think maybe. you're right on. Uh, especially, I mean, and in comparing the two versions, especially, it, it makes sense um, because the... There, there's the maid played by Angela Lansbury, and then there's the housekeeper, and the housekeeper is pretty much always there, and the maid is just there like during the day, uh, and then she goes and stands outside with the police guy all night. Um, <laughs> that's just how they roll. Um, it's in the in in this forty four version of the movie, um, the. Angela Lansbury character, the maid character, is in cahoots with the husband the whole way. Like he actually, he's actually leading her on to like you know, tell the mistress what I tell you to say, um, pretend not to do, you know, whatever it is, and like she's helping him with the the hustle against her, and then the housekeeper's not in on it at all. And the only time that she really comes into play where uh, the wife, Inger Bergman's character, is like, you know, trying to figure out if she's going crazy. She's like, did you turn a light on somewhere else? And she's like, no. And then there's banging upstairs. And she's like, well, did you hear that? And she's like, no. But it's been like 45 minutes in the movie since we've heard that she was deaf. So like you got right. like that's the one character trait about her you need to remember is that she's exactly. deaf. <laughs> um, so that 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 kind of makes that separation um, more important for that whole thing. And then it's interesting too to me at the end that like 
Angela Lansbury's character isn't found more culpable than she is. She just sort of gets away with <laughs> yeah. it at the end. Um, cool. Whereas That's in it. the uh, in the nineteen forty version, uh, the uh, the husband actually takes the maid out on a date. Um, they go to uh, some kind of like music hall and watch like can can dancers and stuff like that. So well, they mentioned the musical thing in the '44 version. So I guess is that like a nod to that scene, maybe? Or yeah, I think I don't. I don't know if like it's supposed to have happened. Um, what's weird in the 1940 version that isn't weird in the '44 version is that so the master is sort of leading Angela Lansbury on, like you know, I'll send her away, and maybe you can be the mistress of this house. Sort of that's sort of the the implied, you know, thing between them. Um, but she's also, you know, in, she has immediate access to the police guy. So she's dating that guy, but that guy's like, you know, he's nothing compared to this amazing older man with lots of money. So it's like, she's sort of playing both of them a little bit. She's, and she's, and it makes sense in the 44 version. Like she can publicly date the police guy. She cannot publicly date, uh, Joseph Cotton's character in the 40 version when she gets home from the date with the master they like arrive back at his house the master goes inside she comes outside and gets all flirty with the policeman and the she and the policeman walk away like well I don't get to fuck the master tonight but this guy will do so she's oh, it's pretty progressive for the 1870s. <laughs> I mean, she's portrayed as kind of a slut in the 1940 version. Or as well, Angela Lansbury is just sort of too, evil. To a degree. Well, I don't know. I think there's definitely an illusion to her being a slut in this one, too. I mean, <laughs> but I think a lot of that also is they're playing on the class issue. You know, her accent and she's yeah. lower class and she'd be okay with doing those activities being kind of seedy. You know, being in on a plot partially, uh, you know, going out with lots of guys, that's fine. She's lower class. She can do that, you know. So I think that's that's a big part of it. Showing up to a job interview with a feather boa. Oh, yes. As you do. As you do. <laughs> you want to make a good impression. So crazy facts about Angela Lansbury in this movie. Um, at the time that they shot this, she was 17 years old. So I all of you old men should stop. Stop your leering. Um, what? <laughs> 17. Uh, she had never acted before in anything. Uh, she was she was uh, auditioned at the behest of someone who knew her mother and knew that her mother had these three daughters that, that lived in the area. And she went to our audition and nailed it. And I believe... I didn't look this up to be sure, but I heard somewhere that she was nominated for supporting actress in this movie. She was. So crazy out of the gate, Angela Lansbury. If you want to see non-jailbait, beautiful young Angela Lansbury, (laughs) um, you should check out the Danny Kaye movie, The Court Jester, where she plays the princess. Mm -hmm. And that, that is just excellent. It's like... Jessica Fletcher, the the hot princess that Danny <laughs> Kay is forced to forced to pretend he likes. 
Gaslight's still fine. It's hot Mrs. Potts. <laughs> hot Mrs. Potts? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> I got you. I got I got you. We beauty and the beast, baby. <laughs> Too much Disney Hail plus. as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I mean, it's not like, it's not a movie that I would recommend to everybody. Um, it's certainly, you know, up there as a classic. I think the cultural significance and the, the fact that it named the it, it, it named a social uh, construct. The the gaslighting is something that we still talk about. Um, I think is really interesting. And I think Inger Bergman is really, really good in it. Um, that last that last sequence where she gets to pretend that she's crazy instead of helping him is just so satisfying. Um, and the Bergman version is better than the, the 1940 version, but they're both like that. They're both really fun. Like, Do they play out pretty much the same way? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit more... Uh, the character in the 40 version is actually in a lot more danger when she does it because I guess they they like didn't tell the uh, the person shooting the movie like the cinematographer that um, the husband character was gonna break out of his prop ropes and so it looks very much like he just has like one layer of rope that's just wrapped around the front of him but not actually wrapped around the chair and so he just goes uh and comes at her after she's like, you know, stabbing at him and she screams and the policeman comes in and rescues her. <laughs> Whereas in the 44 version, he's not going anywhere. And, um, they like look up at the skylight together. That's like a meaningful part of that sequence where they're both looking up at the skylight and, um, she realizes just how horrible he's been to her and all of that. But, uh, but then it's her house, so uh, he's the one that has to go. And I'm sure that Angela Lansbury is going to have to find herself another job and a, another sugar daddy. <laughs> well, that'll be uh, easy to get with that boa. So yeah, I don't think she, she's not going to have a problem. I, I, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Um, you know, uh, and then she grows up to be a, a serial killer and changes her name to Jessica Fletcher. Because Jessica Fletcher killed everyone on Murder, She uh-huh. Wrote. There's uh-huh. no way one woman is around that many murders and not part That's of it. That's true. Mm-hmm. Really sets the tone for the rest of her career. <laughs> <laughs> there was, uh, I did want to point out, one, uh, as much as I knew, you know, the plot before I started watching in terms of what was going on, uh, there was one moment I genuinely did not know what was going to happen, and that it's very exciting. If you've seen thousands of movies over the course of your life, to hit any moment in a movie where you're not entirely sure what's going to happen next is pretty exciting. Um, there, there's the bit where uh, Brian Joseph Cotton, the cop, has gone down downstairs to uh, intercept the master on his way home, but the master's come in through the 
uh, boarded up store upstairs door. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, uh, he just promised poor Elizabeth, the maid, that the master's never coming home again. So uh, Elizabeth had to come up on the spot with the like, no, there was nobody here. You were, no, there was no man in the house or whatever. And I was like, now Elizabeth's gaslighting Ingrid Bergman. I don't know what's going to happen. I was like, uh, is she just going to snap and kill everybody? I have no idea. So, and that's um, another yeah. great, like, yeah, thinking on your feet <laughs> and, and the twists of like, she was smart enough to come up with a, a cover story for that. Yeah, that was probably my favorite sequence of a scene was that whole, like, you know, him leaving, going, the whole thing that Josh just described. I was like, okay, yeah, I like this because now we're getting somewhere. And then and then it was even more impressed when the detective guy came down from the skylight area and he's like, ha-ha, I found your entire secret. And it's like... Shit. Yeah, he's but good. how, he's good how about that door that has been boarded up to the attic space that just swings open like a regular door? Yes. You just, I guess, <laughs> take off a, a nail or two or something, and the whole thing is just on a big hinge. Yeah, I didn't quite understand how that it. worked. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why he wasn't just using that the whole time. My God. <laughs> it's hilarious because maybe the door was a uh, homage to the ropes in the original movie and how like <laughs> ineffective so. they were. <laughs> Well, they they use that uh, also in old Looney Tunes where people would uh, board up a door and somebody just open it. No problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. They had a big problem with uh, Ingrid Bergman's height in this movie um, in that they wanted her to look uh, more dominated by, uh, you know, particularly the husband. And also they wanted Angela Lansbury to be taller than her, to be more intimidating. And so uh, the uh, husband was the same height as Ingrid Bergman. So there, a lot of scenes with him, like he was either on a box or he was wearing like kind of platform shoes. And then Angela Lansbury had these massive heels that she had to wear to appear taller than Ingrid Bergman. So <laughs> there, there are also scenes where... Um Ingrid Bergman is sitting down or she's hunkered over something. Yeah, she does a lot of kind of bending or sitting. So the the scene where they kiss like on the whatever that is like the beach at the beginning like the first time you see them kiss Mm -hmm. um, that was the day they met. Ingrid Bergman was not (laughs) into it. She, like, was not interested in, like, kissing this guy the first day that she met him. And so they, like, worked on, like, getting to know each other a little bit better before they did the rest of the movie. It still looks like it never played out because even later on in the film, <laughs> she she goes to kiss him and it's like she's really reluctant about this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, huh. Oh, like, all right, they're clearly in love. Uh, Do you remember the scene where uh, Angela Lansbury lights the cigarette? (laughs) Yeah, the very uh, sexual tinge scene that they're all three about to have a threesome. (laughs) And yeah, so uh, she had to have a social worker on set to do that because she was 17 and not legally allowed to smoke. Oh shit, that's crazy. Yeah. 
I think that was the creepiest scene for me where I got the heebie-jeebies when I was like, oh, this is not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, that's, that's how you know it's a big budget production is that in 1944, they actually gave a shit about what their 17-year-old actress was doing. Yeah. Like if it was a low budget thing to be like, and you're doing it topless. So here you go. <laughs> I believe that was the more of the seventies, eighties. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining me guys. Thanks for watching gaslight with me. Um, and everybody out there for joining us. We will see you on the next episode. <laughs>